Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. You are listening to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing. I am co-host Mimi Haddad with Kimberly Dixon. And it is our delight to welcome today to Mutuality Matters, Herbert Mozonde. Herbert is an ordained senior reverend at the Harvest House International Church in Badura, Zimbabwe. He is an experienced church planter, having planted 14 churches since 2006. But his true passion is the establishment of healthy marriages to serve as the epicenter of human development that can transform underprivileged and downtrodden communities. This passion and interest has led him to counsel marriages in over 18 countries as well as become the founder and director of Courtship and Marriage Foundation. Reverend Herbert is married to Thandu, and they have one daughter and two sons. Reverend, we welcome you. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. Herbert, I'm so looking forward to hearing what you have to share with us today. And I was hoping that you could share with our audience a little bit about your work, since most of our audience doesn't know how CBE supports and is involved in different work around the world. So could you describe what Courtship and Marriage Foundation does for our audience? Oh, yes. Uh, Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, Courtship and Marriage Foundation, um, we are an, a non-profit organization coming from the, the ends of the earth. In other words, very underdeveloped community in the uh, rural and uh, semi-urban areas of Indura in Mashonale Central. We basically exist to try and restore communities back to the heart of God concerning marriage. We believe that as society, we have derailed from God's original plan when it comes to family, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to gender equality. And so Courtship and Marriage Foundation has programs to try and bring back communities back to align to God's original plans and purposes. So we have got various programs that we'll probably talk about it later. Yes, wonderful. Reverend Herbert, would you describe to us a typical day in your work, particularly also with the police that you've worked with so uh, wisely? Oh, yes, thank you. Um, I'm in early bed. Um, I wake up um, usually around 4, 4.30 or 5 p.m. start with an an hour of devotions because uh, I'm in a community which is very uh, affected by demonic uh, strongholds and things like that. So you've got to get your altar right, right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after the morning devotions, um, I do a bit of exercise, 
through attending my garden just to you know exercise mm-hmm. and then uh, by eight o'clock uh, I'm doing office work up to 10 o'clock and mm-hmm. from 10 to one I'm doing counseling appointments mm. Wow it sounds like he's up early pr- with his prayer and getting things right and then exercising he cut out for just a second so I hope he can continue describing his day in this work of restoring marriages and working with community, hopefully to restore it to how Jesus intended with mutuality between men and women. Yes, and Reverend Herbert has worked with CBE for over three years, and his programs and their success and impact is very well documented. In fact, he's pioneered new methods and means. And so we're hoping to catch him back here on the podcast, despite some Wi-Fi problems. It impresses me that CBE has reached all the way out to Zimbabwe and found these amazing people who are doing such good work and how hard it is as our internet connection is demonstrating right now. And yet God is still working in the midst of it. It's, it's so great that we get to be part of it. Oh, yes. And I hope Reverend Herbert can finish this conversation so we can hear about his. We got up to 1 p.m. and we want to hear the rest of the day. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm back. Sorry. Um, forgive me. I know you guys in the first world, you're not used to these uh, yeah, internet challenges. That's part of our daily experience. Things in the third world don't work as smoothly as in the first world. And part of it is what we're actually experiencing right now. Where exactly. I'm out, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the difficulties with technology. Oh, no continue? problem. Yeah, we. I Thank think you, you were talking about one o'clock in your day after you've done counseling and then what, what goes on with your day. Okay. So, uh, at one o'clock, I then take a one-hour uh, lunch break. Then from two to four, I then do home visits or follow-ups because some of the cases we deal with, especially gender-based violence, you can't wait for people to come to your office. Some are incapacitated to even come to your office. So you'll have to actually get out of your office and visits and uh, and see people at, the, at their home at your office. So that's true to uh, where you're dealing with maybe follow-up cases or even new cases where you're called to come on the ground. And then um, from four to, to, to six, take uh, uh, just an emotional break. I'm not... That makes sense. Just, um, here. Yes, yes, an emotional break after hours and hours of counseling marriages, I think would be necessary. Absolutely. Very true. So, and then I pick it up again. Um, uh, From that time, I then go home, but I have a home office. From six to, I'm doing online. We have got a a call center, uh, a 24-7 call center that we run. So I'll be on duty at the call center because um, many cases that we deal with, people don't want their faces identified or known. So they are more comfortable when you're speaking to a faceless being. So online uh, uh, call center counseling continues up to eight. And then from eight to 
10 p.m., that becomes family time because I'm a family man. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, what about the police? We haven't heard about your work with the local police. Oh, good. So because of the level of confidence that the local police have placed in Komafu, we now have a relationship whereby when they deal with a case, which uh, besides them doing the police duties, they realize that they need counseling, my phone call away, either I go to the police station or they refer the person to our. But we have gone beyond that. We actually train police officers. We train chaplains. We train police officers because they are usually the first port of call when there are issues in, in, mm -hmm. in conflicts in families. And we realize that unless we equip them, they may mishandle uh, the, the issues. And to an extent that quite a lot of people were no longer keen to go and report their cases because they felt the police were equipped to handle. So they have called us to come and equip the police and uh, bring in the issues of gender uh, equality uh, and bring in the issues of uh, uh, peace at home and things like that. So and every Wednesday, we, they have a, a service for the police where we go there and preach to them. And then once a month or so, we call the police to come and attend our trainings because we combine them with the with the pastors that we also train to do marriage counseling. And then once in a while, we have conferences jointly with the police. And now we are about to also recruit the prison officers in the army. Wow. Wow. You know, I love that because um, even here in the United States, uh, the police say that often, I'm assuming you're talking a lot about also gender-based violence, and police say often that those are some of the most dangerous situations that they enter. And to give them the skills and the training and the understanding of um, the equality so that women and men start to trust the police to do the right things, that that is Great. It sounds like that's really um, expanded where you've trained a lot of people and it's it's expanding even to the military, it sounds like. I'm wondering in that context, if you could share with us the challenges that that men and women are facing. It's, uh, you've alluded to it, and I think you're talking a lot about um, gender-based violence and other kinds of conflicts, but could you give us a picture of what you see in your context? Okay, thank you very much. Um, where we are, uh, there's been various researches that have been made and the highest rate of uh, child marriages in the country. So wow. literally when someone reached, if a girl reaches 12 years, 13, they elope into marriage instead of going to secondary school for, for their education. Hmm. So the girls are, they said their district has the highest rate of child marriage in the country. And it, what did he say, 12 years old? Yeah. They're um, getting married instead of getting to continue their education. It's just tragic. It wasn't so long ago that in Britain, as well as the United States, the age of consent it wasn't until Queen Victoria, really, that they began to, and in partnership with Catherine Booth, began to raise the age of consent beyond 12 years. I mean, for I mean, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think in the United States, actually, um, the age of consent for marriage that hasn't actually been legalized in many states. It's not federal. 
Yeah, so it's state controlled. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean, really, <laughs> the trajectory of women's equality is slow going. Uh-huh. Yeah. Herbert? Yes, uh, uh, I'm back again. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we were. Uh, can, can I proceed? Yes, yeah. please. Okay. Yeah. So the the other problem that we see is that um, it's actually from the clergy, from the, the the church leaders. There's a lot of scriptural abuse, and so part of the challenge we find ourselves in is where people are meant to run to for help, which is the church, mm-hmm. becomes the perpetrator, and yeah. you know you have the the the. the that complicates things. So we have had to introduce programs to retrain pastors uh, and church leaders so that a church becomes a, a go-to place rather than a place where there's actually that perpetration of uh, of gender-based violence and gender inequality to an extent that part of it has actually been uh, uh, graved in church doctrines and church constitutions. Mm. A a lady can only go up to being a Sunday school teacher beyond that church constitution doesn't allow, you know? So Mm. that's one that we have to face to say before we even go out there into the world, we ourselves, the clergy, we ourselves have got to fix this. Then the other challenge that we we, we have is um, the challenge women in history because of the highly patriarchal society that we are in mm. we hardly find women in ministry so we have had to have uh, engagement with church founders church bishops to try and uh, revise their constitutions to open up space for women to be in ministry. Not only that, but even the congregants to accept a woman minister, it's, it's been quite a challenge. So I've personally had to go a step further and walk the talk. My <laughs> wife is now in my wife is now an ordained reverend. She's her own branch. So in the morning on Sunday, my church service starts at 9, her church service starts at 11. And then we meet back in the evening, we have each other, how was your service, how was your service? And so it <laughs> is the community. <laughs> it is the community and, um, mm-hmm. and it's so fulfilling a woman fulfilling their calling and but it's a secure man to 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 do that and so we are trying to not only preach to people but also trying to walk the talk so that at least they see it live it's possible for a woman to lead a church for a woman to preach and as we speak right now we've got two invitations where we are called by church leaders to come and speak about women in ministry wonderful oh my goodness there's a lot of activity wherever you seem to go, Reverend Herbert. <laughs> and it's so good. I love hearing this. Yes. So talk to us about how God has spoken to you and led you, particularly through the scriptures or in other ways as it directs your life and ministry. Oh, wonderful. Um he has done it in two ways. Um, firstly, my personal testimony, um, I grew Oh, 
It sounds like he just cut out. So I'm just going to summarize really quickly what he was saying that they're doing with their work. Um, but they have a call center 24-7 because a lot of people just are afraid to be seen, but they can call in and get counseling, which is pretty innovative and insightful, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was talking about how the church is supposed to be a safe place for people who are in trouble, but actually it's it's not hasn't been. And so they're working with clergy and rework, um, reteaching them the scriptures and um, making room yeah. for women in ministry. And then I loved, he said, um, but we need to walk the talk. And so his own wife is ordained and she leads one service and he meets leads another and then they meet and say, so how'd yours go? And now churches are asking them to come talk about this. That's great. Herbert, you're back. Are you back? Okay. Yeah, there There you are. are. So talk to us how God has led you, Herbert. Let me start with my personal testimony. I grew up uh, in a uh, very violent family where my parents were fighting. I hated marriage because the marriage I saw was not a good example. But God has had to take that experience and created a passion for me to want to see the original plan of God. Join us July 26th through 28th, 2024 in Denver, Colorado at Tell Her Story. Women in Scripture and History, CBE's 2024 International Conference. Highlights include engaging workshops and keynote sessions, thought-provoking discussions, speakers who are experts in their fields, in-person access to egalitarian resources, and much more. Don't miss this chance to examine the evidence of women through Scripture and history. Registration opens in January. Let's scale the mountains of evidence to tell her story together. Learn more at cbe.today forward slash Denver 2024. Reverend Herbert, what were the pivotal events in your life personally and professionally that really shaped your views on power, faith, and women's service inequality? Um, In terms of pivotal events that have really shaped my life, um, I'll just give you uh, probably uh, two of them. Uh, the the first one uh, is that um, because of the violence that I grew up seeing in my own parents, I resolved uh, at an early age to say I want to be a Catholic priest, not because uh, I was a devout uh, Christian, but because I wanted to run away from uh, this thing called marriage because the marriage I had seen in my parents was just out there. So I was attracted by the celibacy that is there in the Catholics. Well, I am not Catholic, but I'm just confessing my uh, the, the extent to which uh, my early years as a child were damaged by the extent of the uh, gender-based violence that I saw in my own um, uh, parents. And so... God has had to really work in me like to 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 remove the negative perceptions that I used to have concerning marriage and by teaching me the correct and um, original plan that has really transformed the way I see uh, a marriage and how I desire that the next generation of children, the next generation of youth should not be as damaged as I was 
because of the violence that I saw in my own parents. The second experience that has really shaped me is um, a few years ago, I went to a country in Africa called Rwanda, a country called Rwanda. I, I think you may have an idea. Some time ago, there was a genocide that took place. There were almost a million people were were killed. So when I was there, they showed me uh, a, a big mass grave where thousands and thousands of people were buried in that mass grave. And what struck my mind was that genocide in Rwanda started in the mind of one person. One person had just a thought to say, what if we destroy this other tribe? And they entertained that thought, and that thought grew to the extent that they began to spread the thought until it became a national uh, or regional position. So when I was there, I prayed to God, and I said, God, if one evil idea can kill a million, give me one good idea that can transform at least three million. And God has been faithful to begin to answer that question where we are believing God as Komafo that by 2030, by year 2030, we must have impacted at least 3 million people through the message that we carry as Courtship and Marriage Foundation. So those are the things that have really impacted me and pushed me to, 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 to want to see uh, strong families, to want to see strong marriages, to want to see youths growing up in a in a in an environment where they espouse gender equality, and that has really shaped me quite greatly. I'm wondering, Herbert, who has most informed your outlook on the equality and the value of women in society and religion, and why is that? Um. Concerning the question on uh, who has informed my outlook on uh, equality and value of women in, in society and religion, I would say uh, uh, Mimi, uh, Mimi um, the CBE uh, president, I think has single-handedly been the most influential person in my life as far as this subject is concerned. I met Mimi in South Africa uh, in 2016. I traveled for a conference on gender-based violence held at Rema, uh, themed uh, Truth Be Told. I'd never met her. So during a tea break, we just bumped onto each other. And then, hello, hello, I'm from Zimbabwe, and she was coming from the States. And I think we hardly talked for more than 15 uh, seconds. And I think... I gave her my card, and I think she, she gave me her card, and that was it. Uh, little did I know that later on there was going to be conversations and uh, one thing leading to the other until we have this relationship that has grown between Courtship and Marriage Foundation and uh, uh, CBE. So I started then uh, following her articles that she was reading and, I mean, that she was uh, writing and the angle that she espoused the knowledge of scripture was very rare for me, uh, especially coming from a very patriarchal society. I had not encountered a woman 
that is so clear about scripture and so clear about the place um, of of women in our community in the way that uh, Mimi articulates things. So it, it she really took my attention really and drew. I wanted to know more. Say, hey, this lady is is quite loaded. So I started reading. Um, then I also was reading uh, the mutuality magazines, the uh, and the like. And at one point, I also um, ended up requesting to even translate one of the CBE books, the um, uh, Steel Side by Side, into my local language. Uh, just so that my local people can also be enriched by some of these books that uh, CBE is 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 having in their library. So I would say, in summary, really, uh, Mimi uh, has had the greatest influence to help me crystallize the idea into even the formation of Courtship and Marriage Foundation and pursuing biblical gender equality with such clarity and with such passion. Um, that's what I would say really uh, uh, about the person who has had the greatest influence on 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 my outlook on on this. Reverend Herbert, what changes have you seen as a result of your work? And more broadly, have you seen changes, good or bad and otherwise, in the churches and organizations where you serve? In terms of the changes that I've seen, um, as a result of the work that we we, we do, um, I would mention uh, uh, probably two or three most critical changes that we have seen. Firstly, we have seen as a direct result of our intervention, we've seen an increase in the number of women who are getting into ministry leadership. We have literally seen, if you could draw the graph, you could literally see the graph rising like that. When we started, it was taboo to talk of women in ministry. It was taboo to talk of women being uh, church leaders, pastors, or heads of departments in a, in, a, in a church. But now we are seeing quite a significant number of women being ordained as, 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 as reverends, as pastors, and there's so much space that is beginning to open. There's, there's still more work that we need to do. We are not yet there, but compared to where we are coming from, where it was almost zero, now we are seeing the society beginning to open up the space for women to be in, in ministry. And the women themselves, they're also stepping out into ministry. So that's one of the key things that we've really seen um, as a result of the, the work being done on the ground. Um, the second thing that we have seen, the second change that we have seen is um, from the church side of things, some churches and church leaders have now incorporated gender equality at both pulpit level and church constitution level. We have seen some churches whose constitutions have literally been revised to create space for women. And we are seeing many women ministers being given space at the pulpit level where they preach to, to congregation. We've seen that change taking place. And the third change that is also encouraging uh, is that despite the fact that we still have a significant level of child marriage and, and uh, uh, yeah, mainly child marriage. 
we we are also seeing that the the alternative that uh, we are trying to share with youth, especially the girl child, has reduced the the pace at which they were eloping into into marriage. We've got a model whereby we we bring uh, successful or prominent uh, women who have done it in life to become role models to these young girls to say, you know, there's more to life than just rushing into marriage when you're 12 years or 13 years old, besides it being uh, an illegal uh, arrangement because the uh, legal age of majority is 18. But nonetheless, you have people, at, especially in these remote areas, uh, where at 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, they become uh, married. So we, by our model at Komafu, where we are saying we we have conferences where we bring uh, prominent, uh, successful, or church leaders who are women, uh, or some women who have just made it in life, they come and speak to these young girls just to try and bring that inspiration and hope to say there is more to life than just a, 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 mar a marriage that they run to. So we are beginning to see a slowdown in the number of uh, child marriages, but they still work to be to, to be done. And the fourth change that we 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 have seen is that um, by by speaking out against the ills that that um, that. Uh, are exhibited when there is a, a gender inequality and gender-based uh, violence and uh, all these ills, we have seen that because of the interventions uh, that Kumafu and other similar organizations have managed to bring, we are actually seeing even at government level and various institutions beginning to embrace the message that we carry. Uh, that's why you find even we get invitations at various institutions. And I've already alluded alluded to the fact that even the the security force, or rather the police, have opened up because they have seen the fruit of what we are actually doing in our, our our community. And lastly, after all this great content, Herbert, what are your hopes for the future of girls and boys in your context for women and men and the community who have been touched by the work of Courtship and Marriage Foundation? In terms of our hopes for the future um, of uh, the girls and boys and women and men and the community that have been touched by the Courtship and Marriage Foundation uh, work. Uh, our aspirations, our hope really is to see secure men and empowered women working together to anchor all human development to the glory of God. We're really an envisage a situation where side by side, men and women as co-workers, as teams, work together without suppression of each other's talents, callings, and giftings, but rather availing environments where each one of us is able to exhibit and, and release the God-given 
talents and resources and giftings um, uh, without fear or favor. That's one of the things that we hope to see, and particularly in our community, uh, uh, which is a bit on the uh, third world uh, kind of standard. We 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 espouse to see the the girl child rising up and pursue their career and calling rather than rushing into child uh, marriages. That's really our hope. And uh, our, our other hope is to see the church rising up to become an oasis of hope in a hopeless community, an oasis of hope in a downtrodden society like our community in, in, in Bindura. And to achieve that, it must get it right in terms of the original plan of God concerning love and marriage. Hence our mission, which is to restore communities back to the heart of God concerning love and, and marriage. And ultimately, we want to see the glorious church ready for the glorious wedding with Jesus Christ, that church made up of men and women who's faithfully served and exhibited the God-given talents that they had to the glory of God. Thank you. It was wonderful hearing from Reverend Herbert, and I just can't tell you how much I wish I could watch him every day from the time he gets up at 4.30 until he goes to bed at about 8 p.m. <laughs> to hear the conversations that he has and the changes that are making, it would be so amazing to see. Right. And I, I can't help but think, Kim, that um, his work with the police is so crucial. He's not only serving as a, a resource and bringing them along in his trainings weekly, monthly, and at his key events, but the research in the United States shows that when a woman calls uh, the police on the first event of domestic violence, when they just, they're very proactive and they go, no, this will not happen. I'm calling the police. The first time it happens, the police rarely return to that home. Huh. But it's when you are not proactive and you do not hold that person accountable. I think maybe that kind of applies to all, all of life that you have yeah. to address it right away. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Nip it, nip it in the bud, but. And then it doesn't, can't become a habit or a pattern that's then hard to break. Exactly. So crucial. I'm sure. You yeah. And to have the police um, trained and to have the skills and the awareness of what they're dealing with. I mean, that is such a universal need, I think. And to that, to go all the way into the military, is it's actually very exciting because I can imagine it not only giving them better interventions when they're interacting with the community, but also setting personal examples in their own lives. Uh, and, and they're watched. Those are leaders in the community. And so that would make a huge impact. Yeah, it's just a powerful model for all of us to think about. Yeah. 
Well, I just want to thank our audience for joining us today. We know that these international interviews are sometimes hard because of the internet connections and accents and things that we're not familiar with, but they are so rich with so Mm. much that they can share and so much that we can learn from. We just thank you for joining us and leaning in to really learn from Herbert and his good work. And so please stay tuned to all of our episodes that come to you weekly from our incredible teams of co-hosts. And in the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in their interview. And come to our website, www.cbeinternational.org, and you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, where you can watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, our magazine, our academic journal, or visit our bookstore. If you're like me and you like to read, it is a treasure trove of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon. And I'm Mimi Haddad. And we would like to thank our support tech, Landon, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 